Thank you, Pastor Dirk. It's been a real joy to be with you all again today. Enjoy some wonderful, warm hospitality and friendship, and um, really grateful for the privilege of bringing God's Word to you this evening as well. Will you turn with me in God's Word to the book of Psalms and Psalm 17? Psalm number 17. The psalmist here is being persecuted and suffering, and he's struggling with how he is experiencing so much pain when the ungodly are experiencing so much apparent prosperity, and we'll see how he resolves that tension that I'm sure we've all felt at various times in our lives. So Psalm 17, Hear, O Lord, my righteous plea. Listen to my cry. Give ear to my prayer. It does not rise from deceitful lips. May my vindication come from you. May your eyes see what is right. Though you probe my heart and examine me at night, though you test me, you will find nothing. I have resolved that my mouth will not sin. As for the deeds of men, by the words of your lips, I have kept myself from the ways of the violent. My steps have held to your paths. My feet have not slipped. I call on you, O God, for you will answer me. Give ear to me and hear my prayer. Show the wonder of your great love, you who save by your right hand, those who take refuge in you, from their foes. Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings from the wicked who assail me, from my mortal enemies who surround me. They close up their callous hearts and their mouths speak with arrogance. They have tracked me down. They now surround me with eyes alert to throw me to the ground. They're like a lion hungry for prey, like a great lion crouching in cover. Rise up, O Lord, confront them, bring them down, rescue me from the wicked by your sword. O Lord, by your hand, save me from such men, from men of this world whose reward is in this life. You still the hunger of those you cherish, they're sons of plenty, and they store up wealth for their children. And I, in righteousness, I will see your face. When I awake, I will be satisfied with seeing your likeness. Amen. May God add His blessing to His Word. I'm sure we've all heard the phrase, total satisfaction guaranteed. We've maybe seen it on marketing, literature, advertising, commercials. We've maybe heard it on the radio, seen um, commercials on television. Often it's a phrase that's attached to things like vacations, restaurants, cars, appliances. And it's basically saying, you know, do this, buy this, go here, be that, 
and you will be fully and completely satisfied. You'll be filled full, total satisfaction, guaranteed. Well, I'm sure if, like me, you've been taken in by this, at times you've been disappointed because there is no such thing in this world as total satisfaction, guaranteed. And yet, it's, it's likely that maybe some here, maybe many here, eh, thought that the Christian life in this world would be a life of satisfaction. I know we, we think of the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel, so-called, the, the Joel Osteen type of message that, you know, you give me your money and you commit to God, God will make everything. You'll never be, you'll never be sad again. You'll never be poor again. We, we know that and we reject that. We know that's not true. And yet, sometimes buried deep within us, even those of us who are uh, guided by the Word of God, there's a sense of, you know, if I'm a Christian, life should go a lot easier. If, I, if I'm a Christian and if I'm, I'm faithful to God, God, will, God will, will reward me. He'll look after me. He'll, he'll give me happiness. He'll give me peace. He'll, he'll give me friends. He'll, he'll give me a, a really happy family. And yet, as every Christian here knows, that satisfaction is not guaranteed and is rare if it exists at all. The Christian life is often a life of difficulty and suffering and pain. And like David here, we sometimes look out on the world and we say, how come? How come? How come they're all so seemingly happy and prosperous and they, 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 they don't darken the door of a church, they don't read a Bible, they don't try and live morally? And look at me. I've tried to be faithful. I've tried to serve the church. I've tried to be kind. I've tried to raise my family as I ought. And, and look at the mess I'm in. That's not fair. How do, we, how do we push through? How do we endure? How do we overcome these challenges to our faith? And they are challenges. Well, the psalmist not only describes the problem in this psalm of seeing the wicked prosper and seeing the, the believer suffer, but he also points us towards the solution. And I can sum up the solution like this, and I'll, I'll explain it as I go on. It, we push through or we get through suffering by sampling the total satisfaction guaranteed at the end. We push through suffering, we get through suffering, we overcome suffering and injustice and difficulty and persecution by sampling, getting a little taste now and again of the total satisfaction guaranteed at the end of the Christian life. That's what David brings before us here, especially in verse 15. And I, in righteousness, I will see your face. When I awake, I will be satisfied with seeing your likeness. 
I want you to notice briefly that the, the wicked satisfaction is limited. And then we'll see that the believer's future satisfaction is total. So, let's just briefly look at that first insight we get from this psalm. The wicked's satisfaction, the ungodly satisfaction is, present tense, limited. The, the psalmist here looks around and he sees that a lot of the ungodly seem to have a lot of satisfaction. You, you look, for example, in this psalm, and they are people who seem to prosper when they shouldn't be, we think. They, they've got everything they want. Now, sometimes we might say, you know, if you're not a Christian, you'll never be satisfied, and that's not true. It's possible to get satisfaction in this life, but it's limited. It's usually short. It doesn't last very long. And that's what David here tells us. You look, for example, in verse 14, O Lord, by Your hand save me from such men, from men of this world whose reward is in this life. So, notice how he describes them. They are men of this world, not the world to come, and they have their reward in this life. So, we see that happen, don't we? We see worldly people, people who live only for themselves and for this world and for the present time, and, and they get reward but they are people of this world, and they are people whose reward is limited to their time in this world. They have to leave it all behind, and eventually they have nothing. So, they had a satisfaction, past tense, but when they die, it's all in the rearview mirror. They don't have anything on the other side of the grave that can satisfy them. Indeed, the Bible depicts that life after death of an unbeliever as a life of emptiness, a life of pain, a life of suffering, an eternity of darkness and torment even. So, the, the, the satisfaction of the unbeliever is limited to this world. And, and I hope if there's, if there's someone here tonight and you are living for this world, you're living for this moment, you're living for the stuff that, that fills this world, that you'll, you'll take the message of this psalm to heart. And, and that you'll see, yeah, that, that's me. I'm a man or a woman or a boy or a girl of this world. I don't have anything that could be called a world to come in my view. And everything I live for is in this life. And all my satisfaction is limited to the stuff of this life. And so my reward is limited, short, fading, and cannot last. And on the other side, it's, it's, it's indescribable. Take, please take that to heart. And ask yourself, am I being described here? However much satisfaction you, you try to find, and sometimes do find, 
in this world. It's only in this world you will have it. But the psalmist then turns and contrasts the satisfaction of the godly. That's where we want to focus our attention because it's such a, a beautiful picture here in verse 15. I, in righteousness, I will see your face. When I awake, I will be satisfied with your likeness. And really, if you want to translate this um, literally, it's but I. He's looking back at the wicked, and he's saying, you can have all that. I don't want it. As for me, I'm going another direction. I've got my eyes on another world. I've got my eyes on the eternal future. If you, if you came to offer me all that this world can offer me, if I would give up my faith, even for a second, I wouldn't take it, he's saying. Not me. I wouldn't exchange my mountain of gold for your mountain of feathers that will soon be blown away in the hurricane of death. And I, but I, he says. What does he do here? Well, he does what we mentioned earlier. He pushes through these difficulties. He endures through this suffering by sampling the total satisfaction guaranteed at the end. It's like he looks ahead, and there's this great feast laid out, this, this satisfaction guaranteed. But by faith, while he's in this world, he gets a little thimble, a little sip by faith of that future satisfaction. He looks ahead to it, and he says, I will be satisfied. I will be satisfied. And that expectation that he brings into his heart by faith now enables him to get a taster, an appetizer that is enough to push him through, keep him going with that ultimate expectation, I will be satisfied satisfied. What is his feast? What does does he look forward to? What is this total satisfaction guaranteed? Well, it's brought before us here in four ingredients. And the first one is, he says, I will be satisfied because I will awake. Notice that in the middle of verse 15, when I awake… Now, again, there's a contrast here. It's, it's really saying the wicked, when they die, you can hardly call what they experience being an awakening because it's going into such darkness. But for the believer, it's described as an awakening. I will awake. And do you know what he's actually saying here? He's saying this, when I look back on my life on earth, it's as if I was asleep. He's looking back on his consciousness, his awareness, his, his thoughts, his feelings, his, what he saw and, and heard and tasted and touched, all that came into his experience. And although I thought that was being alive, compared to the life afterwards, it's as if it's a, it's a, it's a sleep. It's as if I'm semi-conscious. That's how big a transition, a transformation occurs when a believer goes from this world to the world to come. 
It's not, it's not like we go from consciousness to some kind of ghostly, semi-existence. You know, sometimes we think of heaven in a very ethereal, cloudy, vapory way, and it's, there's nothing concrete or specific. It's all very just a bit weird. No, the psalmist says, this world's going to look weird. We're going to look back, and we're going to basically think, what was that all about? I thought I was alive. I thought I was awake. I thought I was conscious. I thought I had senses. I thought I could think and feel. But now, now I'm awake. It's, it's like a, a quantum leap in human existence, in human consciousness. There's going to be an awareness, a sensitivity. There are going to be abilities, mental, physical, emotional, that, yeah, will make this world look like you look, you will be looking in six hours when you're fast asleep in your bed. That's, that's what you'll look back on this world like, like a dream, like a, like a dizzy dwam that we were in, just half alert now and glory. It's like a ping moment. I will awake, and that very awakening will be satisfying. We will immediately pass into glory. There's no gap. There's no space. There's no delay. There's no wait there. It's dead and alive in the same second. Take a sip of that that will push you through difficulty in this world. That will keep you going through discouragement. I will be satisfied when I awake. The second ingredient of this satisfaction is I will be satisfied when I see Christ. Notice verse 15 again, and I in righteousness, I will see your face. Now, obviously, this psalm was written before Jesus came to this earth, about a thousand years before. But the Old Testament believers, by faith, looked ahead. They were able, with the help of the Scripture they had and the Holy Spirit, to anticipate the Savior, even in Psalm 16. It's a messianic psalm, a psalm about the Messiah, His, his resurrection. And uh, Psalm 17 is, is the next step, the, the Messiah in glory, Christ in glory. And the psalmist here, David, seems to have an amazing insight that, that he would one day see the very face of God. And this was like a no-no for a Hebrew believer. They were told in the Old Testament, no man can see God and live. Yet here he says, I will see your face. The only way this can be is looking on a human face of God. No man can see God essentially in His Spirit, in His essence and live, but we can see God in flesh and live. That's what John said, isn't it? We beheld His glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. 
He, he, he dwelt among us in the flesh. And here David looks ahead and says, I will see that face. Even though he doesn't see him on this earth, he will see him in heaven. And, and it's a wonderful thing to look forward to. Can you imagine that moment when you wake up and the first face you see is Christ? You know what? It's like when a, when a mother hears her baby waking up from sleep, a young baby needing fed, and they, they're wrestling a bit. You can hear them. They're making the odd little cry or croak. So you, you go in and you watch them as they slowly wake up, and you can see them, you know, the eyes are beginning to, to flutter, and gradually, slowly, as they get more and more restless, the eyes eventually open, and maybe that mother has got her face now right down at the little one. And as soon as the eyes open and they focus on the mom's face, it's like this big smile appears. And this is really what the psalmist is depicting here. It's, it's, it's a, a, you know, death is a struggle. It's the last enemy. It's not pleasant. I, I was talking to my father-in-law about this recently, and He's, he's in his 90s. He, I asked him recently, are you, are you scared? Are you fearful about going to heaven uh, or about death? He said, well, David, he said, I, I don't fear death, but I fear the process. In other words, the dying of cancer, it's, 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 as many of you know, it's an awful experience. Uh, and, but then he said, David, I've, I've, been a, I've followed Christ for 67 years, and I've preached him for, I think he said, 55, something like that, and I just want to see him now. And that, that's what the psalmist is looking ahead to. I will be satisfied when I see your face. And it's, it's a face. You know, sometimes I think we, we, we picture heaven, and it's like we think of a, maybe a football stadium, um, of like hundreds of thousands of people, and, you know, it's just this, yeah, a multitude greater than any man can number. And maybe, you know, a little, there'll be a little dot on the horizon that, that will be Christ still in His human nature. And, and we might like see a speck from a distance. No. Here He says, I will see his face, his face. I don't know how that all works. I don't think we can figure it out in this earth, but every believer will see the face of Christ, not just for a moment, but forever. It's not like you awake, you see his face, and he says, okay, next. No, that heaven is seeing the face of Christ. That's heaven, isn't it? And, and to awaken and look into the eyeballs of Jesus Christ and to see the head that was crowned, the cheeks that were punched, the face that was spat on, the eyes that wept, 
the mouth that spoke such words of grace and truth, to see his heart coming through his face. We'll know him straight away. It's not like we will awake and we'll be like, who are you? Even though we've never seen him physically before, we will know him. We will know him. He's not going to be like a stranger we have to figure out or be told who this is. It'll just, we know him. And it's going to be the most beautiful face you have ever seen in your life. It's going to be the friendliest face you've ever seen. It's going to be the holiest face you've ever seen. It's going to be the happiest face you've ever seen. It's going to be the most welcome face you've ever seen. Take a little sip of that by faith when you're down. I will be satisfied when I see Christ. There's a third ingredient here. He says, I will be satisfied because I will be vindicated. This was something the psalmist struggled with, false accusation, misrepresentation. You can see that in the early part of the psalm. Verse 1, he's crying to God, hear my righteous pleas, like in a court. He's pleading with God to be his judge and to clear him from all the false accusations that were coming against him. He says in verse 2, may my vindication come from you. May your eyes see what is right. I know all that they're saying and all that they're trying to, how they're trying to damage me. Lord, you know, you can vindicate me. And, and it seems he had a measure of internal vindication in his own conscience. Because you look at verse 3, you probe my heart, you examine me at night. Though you test me, you will find nothing. I've resolved that my mouth will not sin. I've kept myself in the ways of the violent, and so on. He's saying, concerning, he's not saying I'm perfect. He knows he's a sinner. But he's saying, in connection with all these falsehoods and misrepresentations, I am innocent, and God has visited me and assured me of that in my own conscience. So I have peace within, but he doesn't have peace outside. He doesn't have external public vindication. And that's what he sees here. He says, in righteousness, I will see your face. And that, that literally means uh, being accounted right, I will see your face. And, and what it depicts is a public vindication. In this case, when the soul goes to heaven after death, it will be before all of heaven, all the angels, all the other people of God, before God Himself. He will take His people and He will clear them of all charges and vindicate them. And then ultimately, at the resurrection, when our bodies are reunited with our souls, that will become an even greater public vindication before the world and the devil and all creatures. But this is a, this is a temporary, a a stopgap vindication that is satisfying to know that I'll one day be in heaven and all the falsehoods and all the accusations will be over. Indeed, they'll be cleared away. They'll be declared to be false, and I will be declared to be God's child, whatever anyone else has said during my life. I will be satisfied with this vindication. 
Take a little sip of that. No Christian gets through this world without suffering that to some extent. Maybe within your family, your community, your workplace. The way Christians are portrayed, even in the media today, we all feel it. The, the misrepresentation, the false accusations, the distorted caricatures of Christianity that are presented, the, 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 the tarnishing of Christians as bigots and, and homophobes and all other kinds of phobes, is painful. Especially when Christians are the most loving people in the world. But I will be satisfied when Christ vindicates me. Then the fourth ingredient here is I will be satisfied because I will be like Christ. Notice here, it's interesting, at the end of verse 15 it says, I will be satisfied with seeing your likeness. Now, the word seeing is actually not in the original Hebrew. So, it's literally, I will be satisfied with your likeness. It's a wee bit different. Now, that's a truth. I'll be satisfied with seeing your likeness, but that's in the early part of the verse. I will see your face. It's, this is actually speaking of something even more. It's not just I will see your face, but His face will be on mine. I will be satisfied with your likeness. You know, the Apostle John speaks of him, when we see him, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Again, this is instantaneous. And it's not speaking of, of the physical transformation that will occur at the resurrection. That, that's, that's certainly ahead still to come even after death, when our vile bodies, this, these lowly bodies will be transformed and made like unto His glorious body. This is speaking, though, of a character transformation. Indeed, I think you could even say a personality transformation. Not that we all become clones, not at all. Our uniqueness as human beings will be preserved, but in a Christ-like way. What will this be like? What will it be like to have Christ-likeness? Well, it will be to be holy, perfectly holy. Not just never to sin, but never even to think about sin. Never even be tempted to sin. Never to think about the possibility of sin ever again. Imagine even if you had one day of that. No more envy, no more malice, no more lust, no more pride, no more self-centeredness, no more coldness towards God, no more lack of love towards God and our neighbor, all that gone, and instead perfect patience, goodness, mercy, love, peace. It's, it's just astonishing to have that likeness of Christ become our own. I'll be satisfied with your likeness. But 
when I think about this for myself, I, I do look forward to sinlessness. I do. I look forward more than sinlessness, but to be righteous. Not just, I won't be sinning, but I will be right, and I will be doing right, and saying right, and desiring right, and thinking right, and never having wrong again in my life. That's, that's, that's huge. It's massive. But as I get older, the thing that really appeals to me is this. Um, a personality transformation. You know, I'm, I don't know if you've heard of this. Maybe you've known people with it. It's sometimes called like a borderline personality disorder. And, and these are, it's a, it's a, it's a very painful horrible condition, affliction to have. Thankfully, there's a lot that can be done today, but, um, and there are many personality disorders. And I've, I've dealt with a, a few people, and, and it's, it's a hard road for them and for all trying to care for them. But the more I've got to know these people, and the more I've got to know myself, <laughs> we've all got personality disorders. It's just some of us, either it's more obvious or we see it. We're all broken. We're all, we've all got a big crack down our middle. We're all weird. You know, somewhere or another, we're just weird. We're, we're unusual. None of us are normal. None of us. Um, if, you, if you look in the mirror and you think you're normal, you, you don't know yourself. And, and I, this is, I think, what will be just incredible, to have a whole personality, to, be, to have that crack removed, to have all the disorder orderly, to have mental and emotional health. What will that be like? That will be satisfying. I will be satisfied. We overcome suffering by sampling the total satisfaction guaranteed at the end. There's a lot here to drink from. Take a little cup of faith and dip it into this verse and take a sip when you're down and out. And it will help you endure. It will keep you going. I come back to this verse frequently myself. I wish I had a bigger thimble, bigger faith. I wish I had a big bucket. I could just go and, and drown myself in this verse, just soak in it. But most of us have got little faith, and we just, we're allowed little sips, and it's just enough to keep us going, keep us going, keep us going. And when you think about this, it's like, what a hope we have. What a hope. We can put up with a lot with a hope like this. And it's not, it's not far away from any of us, probably a lot closer than, than all of us realize. We keep going, I will be satisfied until eventually the day comes, and it's no longer a future tense hope, it's a present tense experience. 
No longer I will be, but I am. I am satisfied, and I will always be satisfied. It's not going to dip down again. It's constant, forever and ever and ever. What a hope. What a future. What a prospect the believer has. If you're not a believer here, you don't have that. Do you not want it? Does this not stimulate desire and longing and craving? Do you not cry out, Lord, make this true for me? I don't have that hope. I'm, I'm, the, I'm the verse 14 person. I want to be a verse 15 person. And, and what, a, what a death. This just totally changes the way we look at death. It brightens it. It brings such almost you could you'd almost say if if when you you really get it and it's only momentary, but if you really get it's it's like almost anticipation, not fear. What a satisfaction. And it's not just we who will be satisfied, God will be satisfied. It's mutual. It's not, it's not that we get there and we are filled. He's filled with His filling of us. We, we'll look at ourselves and we'll go, wow, 